Good morning, guys. Uh, the kids are going to be exiting out this way uh, to Kids Church this morning. And as they do, right before we, uh, right before, I guess maybe right before we get started, just a small word of announcement that um, is more of a follow-up, I guess, from, from last week. Um, we, we got to spend some time hearing from um, Hunter uh, about his upcoming move to New York uh, to work in the neighborhood of, of Bushwick and Brooklyn to work among church planners um, and, and help, help work there. Um, one of the things that we didn't say last week, but we feel like uh, for, for those of you who are um, uh, members of of Sulphur Community Church. And the question was asked, well, I mean, do we just kind of give a clap and a high five and a prayer and send him on his way, or do we, are we actually going to invest in this movement? We have, our leadership um, has allocated um, a, a good portion of our budget to, to making sure that uh, we stay on purpose with mission, uh, and so some of those funds will be uh, provided for Hunter to go. Um, and, and we've also um, set up uh, the way we, we have two, we have a few ways of, of giving here. We have a station in the back, so if you still do uh, paper and, and ink, um, there's a way for you to give in the back. But uh, we also have an online platform where we give, and so if you're familiar with with the online platform, um, that'll now be an option for you. If you wanted to also give above and beyond what Sulphur Community Church has committed to send Hunter, um, you can do that. You can sign up there, and you can set it up a one-time gift or recurring, however you want to do that. So just wanted to kind of put that get out there before you guys. Um, and this morning, we are jumping into the book of Philippians. We've been looking forward to this. Um, we were kicking ideas around uh, a couple of months ago about where do we go next. You know, we, uh, we, we, we've kind of journeyed through the book of Ruth. Uh, we wrapped that up a couple of weeks ago, and then we just uh, spent a few weeks just anticipating the Easter celebration Sunday that we uh, that was just kind of leading up to there, spending a few weeks just kind of walking the road that Christ walked on his way to the cross. And that was kind of our Easter uh, series. That was a three-week series. And then last week we got to hear from Hunter. And then this morning we're going to start our series through the book of Philippians. And this is, this is where we're going to be all summer uh, in this book. It's a short book. Um and, and we're going to spend the entire summer there. So, so if you're new to SCC or, or you, you haven't been on the front end of one of our series before, um, working through books of the Bible is, is our way of, it's kind of a, our steady diet. Um, and we do this, um, it, we feel like it's beneficial on, on a few different levels. Uh, primarily, what we want to make sure that we don't ever get in the habit of doing is just um, having kind of an agenda or uh, something that I want to just talk about and go cherry pick Bible verses from all over Scripture to try to frame up a, a maybe an agenda that I have. So uh, that one of the ways that we discipline ourselves is to just uh, when we jump into a, a book of the Bible or a section of the Bible, we, we, we look at all of it. We look at every verse, every word. And so uh, it holds us accountable. And so that's one level of, of benefit that we get from that. But also um, all of God's word is beneficial to us. Every single um, uh, jot and tittle that has been put in the word is, is beneficial for us. And so we want to receive all that God has for us. And so walking through books of the Bible this way is just kind of our steady diet and how we, how we do this. And, and as I stated last week, for those of you who were here, um, the, the, the New Testament includes several churches we see. We, we, we learn about several churches that are, that are in the New Testament. Um, and, and some of those we learn about that they're, they're, they're in, a, in a season of suffering when we, when we learn about them and see how, how they're being encouraged and, and, and how the letters are being written to them. Um, some of them are, are suffering and some of them are being persecuted. Some of them are just like flat out misbehaving. Um, and so Paul has to address uh, the church on several different levels. 
couples like this, right? He's addressing churches who are suffering and persecuted. He's addressing churches who are, um, who are, who, who might have their theology a little messed up. And so he's kind of helping correct that. Um, but the book of Philippians is, is, as I stated last week, is, is one church in the New Testament that if we were going to emulate, that would be the one. Uh, this would be the one. This is the only church in the New Testament that doesn't receive a correction or a rebuke. The entire letter is just a huge letter of encouragement to the church, championing the church, praising the church for, for being who they are and, and, and what they're about. And so, in other words, for us, we're saying, hey, man, this would be the church we want to emulate. It's because this is what a healthy and vibrant church looks like. And that's what we're after. We want to, we want to, we want to emulate that. And the major theme of the entire book, just kind of, and you, the, the title of our series is Unshakable Joy. And that's the major theme of the entire uh, book is joy. That, that's, that's where we're at. And so I'm going to read, we're going to, today we're going to be in just the first eight verses of Philippians, and so if you would follow along with me there, starting in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ, in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So let's pray together. Uh, Father, we come to you this morning uh, thankful, grateful for your word, thankful that, um, God, it is still alive, it is still active, um, it still speaks to us, it still applies to us. Uh, every single word on the page uh, that, we, that we see, Father, is, is relevant to us today, and so may we be mindful of that. May we, um, Father, embrace the reality that uh, this is our standard, and so encourage us this morning with this letter. See, uh, show us, uh, and give us eyes to see uh, what a healthy and vibrant uh, church looks like. Father, give us the wisdom and the, and the, and the patience and, the, uh, and the, the drive to, to emulate a church like the church at Philippi. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We ask these things in his holy name. Amen. Um, so one of the things that I really like about this church, Sulphur Community Church, uh, is, uh, is it's, it's kind of its makeup. Um, while, while it might look very similar and 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 demographic, right? They're just kind of, you know, middle age, mostly Caucasian. Um, just, I mean, we, we're kind of all at the, I don't know, we just from the outside, we look a lot alike. Um, but when you start learning about each one of you, when I, when I ask questions, what I learn is that there are businessmen and businesswomen in here. There are teachers, there are nurses, there are students, there are homemakers. Uh, I mean, all sorts of background, entrepreneurs, educators, you name it, we've got it in the room. And so when I say I, what I like about the church is the makeup, it's that kind of diversity of those backgrounds that we all have, that we come from. Um, because what comes with a variety of backgrounds, where we come from, what our day-to-day -day experience is a variety of stories, right? A variety of stories of how God has worked out our redemption for each one of us who, who are in Christ and how he saved many of us. 
So if I talk to a lot of you guys, uh, you know, many of you had faithful parents or grandparents who before the ink was dry on your birth certificate, you were in church. Like you were being encouraged in your faith. You were being uh, encouraged to participate uh, in the local church. And that's a blessing. Don't, don't, count, don't discount that. That's, that's a huge blessing. Some of you have met Jesus in a very dark and desperate place. Right? It wasn't this encouragement from the time you were born to, to get plugged into church and to just kind of grow and you kind of know all the, the ins and outs of how church life goes. But, but you met Jesus in a place that was desperate, that was dark, that was, that was broken. Self-gratification, addiction, just wasn't cutting it anymore, right? And so that's the place where Jesus found you. I praise God for that. Right? I, I praise God for that. That's a, that's, a, um, that's a wonderful thing. And because of these diverse backgrounds... Um, and because of our diverse experiences, we all have a, a historical view of the church, right? We all kind of have our experience um, with, with church in different, in different ways, I guess. And so for those of you who were brought up in church, if that were you, if you're like, yeah, that was, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one who, you know, was pretty much in church the minute I left the hospital when I was born. Like, you've had more pizza and more fried chicken and more spaghetti <laughs> than you care to admit, Right? And, and that's just the reality. I mean, I don't know what it is about church culture, but it's like, it's like Carb City, man. Like, that's, that's what happens in, in church. But with the exception of maybe just wanting a little bit of a different meal, man, you love, you love the church, right? This is, this, is, this is your people, man. This is, where you, this is where you belong. This is how you grew up. This was your culture, and so you love the church. And for some of you, you grew up hating church, like you hated it. You hated it because it was full of judgmental people. It was full of hypocrites. It was people who made assumptions about you. It was, it was people who were narrow-minded. And you just, you hated that about the church. Some of you, I put myself in this group, just didn't really give much of a thought about it. It wasn't that you were hostile toward the church. It wasn't that you didn't even believe in God. But it's just kind of indifferent, right? And what that did was cause me just to be distant. Not really, I didn't really understand the culture of the church. I was far enough away from it to where it's like, yeah, I respect you for that, but that's just not me. And I'm sure there's, there's more variety than this, right? I'm just trying to pick some high level. What I know in the room is probably most of our experiences. So wherever you're at, whatever variety of background you come from, whatever you're your tribe looks like, whatever your culture looks like, all across the map, this is who we are. This is the church. This is us. And the church has everything to do with Jesus. Everything about what the church is, is about Jesus. We are a people who are collectively, regardless of your variety of background, where you come from, we are all collectively banged up, broken up people. That's, that's who we are. We're human. And here's the deal. I don't know how awesome you think you are, but none of us have any business being loved by God. None of us. But by His severe grace... His goodness. He has, he has tracked us down. He has, he has bought us. He has built us up. He has bound us together across all these varieties of backgrounds. He's, he's, he's brought us all together. And now, he calls us a family. You want to talk about dysfunctional. 
Like you, all the places we come from. And God just collectively in his grace calls us together, redeems us, and puts us in one group and says, that's my people. That's my family. We're all a family now. And this is our story. And it's the story of every single church in every single place at every moment in time who names Jesus as king. And it was the church at Philippi as well. This is, this is their story too. It's, it's their story, it's our story, and it's the story of every church under the lordship of Jesus. The city of Philippi was this booming metropolis. We talked a little bit about this when we were walking through the book of Acts, whenever Paul and uh, Silas had arrived there, and we kind of learned a little bit about the city. It was this Roman province that was located in Greece. Um, and because of its location and because of its economy, this, this city was a driving force that was shaping culture. It was kind of identifying what the status quo was going to be. That's what kind of city this was. It was a very secular city where worship and allegiance to Caesar was alive and well. And because of this, the citizens of this city were absolutely hostile toward the gospel. Absolutely hostile toward the message of Jesus Christ. And Paul loved the church at Philippi. He loved the church. You, you picked up where we, what, we, what we saw in verse 8. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul had a deep love for this church at Philippi. He loved this church. They, they loved him. This church would go on to, to fund much of the church planning effort across the ancient world that Paul was involved with. And when he would pen these words, when he would sit down and write these words that we're going to study over the, over the entire summer, we're now about 15 or so years since he's planted this church at Philippi. It's a young church. It's only about 15 years old. And now he's in a Roman prison cell. Now he's, he's bound and he's writing back to them these things that are going on in his life. And not just what's going on in his life, he's writing to, to encourage them as they carry out their faith in this place where they're, where they're planted in the midst of this very secular, very irreligious city of Philippi. He's, he's writing a letter of encouragement. And he's writing to the Philippian church, but it begs the question, who specifically is he writing to? Like, who, who, in, who in the church is actually going to pick up this letter and read it? And you saw in verse 1, Paul and Timothy... Servants of Christ Jesus. So he says, here's who's writing the letter. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So Paul's addressing this letter to all the saints, all the Christians, all the brothers and sisters at the church of Philippi. And I want us to focus on this for a minute. I don't want us to just like, yeah, it just seems like an opening of the letter. Let's kind of get to the meat and potatoes of the letter. But I want us to stop here and focus just a little bit because this is not a nameless group of people. We know who these people are. We know exactly who these people are. We know that Paul is writing to, to, the, to the saints, to the believers at Philippi, and we know who he's thinking about when he's writing these, these words down. He knew them personally. We know about them personally. We know this because we have Acts chapter 16. 
We see the church being planted in Acts chapter 16, and, and we get the whole story of how it was planted. We won't go to Acts chapter 16. I'm going to give you a high-level talk about it, but I want to encourage you to, today, before you go to sleep tonight, open your Bible and read Acts chapter 16, because you're going to see how this church was formed, how it was planted. And the high level is that Paul leaves Jerusalem, right? They're going on their missionary journey. He and Timothy and Silas are setting sail to, to Philippi. They want to go plant a church in this city. And they would do what they always do. They, when, they get, when they hit the shore, they look for the synagogue. They look for the place where the Jewish people are going because that's where they want to go preach the gospel first. And so they start roaming around the city of Philippi. And one thing that stands out, there's no, there's no synagogue in Philippi. You want to talk about a wicked city. You go to any city in America, and there's going to be some sort of, of Christian presence in a city. But this city is so wicked, so irreligious, that they can't find a synagogue anywhere in the city. And one day, they're walking along the river near the city, just outside the city. They stumble up on a group of women who are having a, a prayer meeting. I don't know if they were like, doing like a Beth Moore Bible study. I don't know what they were doing. But it's just a, a group of women who were doing a, a, a Bible study, having a prayer meeting together. And as they met with these women and, and got to know who they were, they began sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with them. And one of the ladies in the group, her name was Lydia. And what we know about Lydia is that she was from Thyatira. It's a, it's a Middle Eastern uh, city, a major city in the Middle East. And she was in Philippi because she was on a business trip. See, she was a, she was a wealthy fashion designer. The scriptures would say she was a seller of purple. Fashion designer is what she was. Rich, rich woman. She was influential. She had money. And so here she is gathering up with these other women for prayer. Some of her associates that are with her, she hears the gospel of Jesus, and she believes on Jesus. She's converted. She's baptized, and Scripture says her and her whole household. These are the first Christians in Philippi. This is how the church starts in Philippi. Isn't that neat? A group of women having a prayer gathering, they start the church. Some of you might have a problem with that, and I'm glad you do. You need to reconcile this with Scripture. God will use anybody, anywhere, anytime. It don't matter who you are, what gender you are, what background you come from. He'll use anybody to see his gospel advance, and he does it here. Then he would, Paul and his, his crew would return to this prayer gathering because this is, this is the first presence of, the, of a gospel uh, movement happening in the city. So they're just kind of there to kind of uh, uh, breathe a little bit of wind onto the fire. Uh, and, and they keep going back. And, and, and sooner or later, there's this, um, there's this teenage girl who's, who's enslaved to a group of guys, and she's demon-possessed. And she starts following them in and out of the city every day that they go to this prayer gathering. And, he's, and she's heckling Paul and them to a point where he's, he just can't ignore it anymore. And he, he just has, it, has enough. And he just finally turns to her and says, come out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. And he delivers her from her demon possession. She's delivered. So rightfully so, her owners are frustrated. Because this was their means of income, and now that's been compromised because they can't use the circus act anymore to, to, to make money. And so they're frustrated, and so they have Paul and his crew thrown into prison. 
it should stop there, right? The, the madness has stopped. But it says they would go on to be thrown in prison. And while they're incarcerated there, there's a jailer that's been put over them. It says, keep them safe. And the jailer's going to do, do them a solid and say, I'm going to torment them. I'm going to bring them into the inner cell, into the inner part of the prison. And basically, this is like the deepest, darkest hole in the prison where it's at the very bottom. And uh, the indoor plumbing was kind of jacked up during that day. And so what would happen is this is where all the runoff would land. And this is where they would be located. This is where you would torment somebody. You put them in the inner part of the jail. It says they were put in stocks. Stocks. It, it, Roman stocks was chains that hung from the ceiling. And what it would do is it would bind your legs and it would pull you up to where your feet were up here. And you were kind of almost suspended upside down. And they would take these, um, these switches, so to speak, and they would beat you on the bottoms of your feet until they were opened up. It was just a form of torture and they would just leave you hanging there. So Paul and Silas does what anybody would do when you're in their inner, inner part of the jail where all this muck and mess is on you and you've been beaten, you've been suspended by your legs and you've, your feet have been beaten open. What do you do in a situation like that? You sing worship songs. That's what they were doing. They were singing worship songs. They were singing hymns to God. That's what they were doing in that moment. Amidst their torment... They're singing to Jesus. In the middle of their suffering, they're singing worship songs. There's no more appropriate time in your life to sing a worship song than in the midst of your suffering. It's easy to come here this morning and sing songs and smile and clap and yay, but it's on those dark days. Can you sing them then? Can you recall the promises then? And they could. And then an earthquake hits, rattles the jail, flings the doors open. Prisoners who've been locked up are now running free. They're, they're being liberated. The jailer is now horrified because, you know, he's thinking, you know, the thought of these prisoners escaping under his watch was just too much for him to handle. He's going to take his life. And instead of taking advantage of the open doors to freedom... Paul and Silas decide to go check on the jailer, go minister to the jailer. The guy who just put them in the inner cell, strapped their ankles up to the ceiling and beat them and tortured them. They want to go minister to that guy. And what happens through that conversation is they convince him not to take his own life. And, and, and even more than that, through the witness of their songs that they were singing, their prayers in the midst of their, their torture, and then the caring of the one who was torturing them, there was only one response that the jailer could give. What must I do to be saved? How do I get that Jesus? How do I get that king? So the church at Philippi is about six or eight strong. Made up of Lydia, this wealthy fashionista with, with, with her crew, and an ex-demoniac slave girl, and a jailer with his household. That's the church at Philippi. How glorious. And here are the saints that Paul has in mind when he's writing this letter. These are the people that come that he recalls when he's saying to the saints, to the ones who belong to Jesus, to the holy ones of God. Here's the church at Philippi. 
Now, if, if you're planting church in a city and you, th- you think I'm coming to parachute into the city uh, there's this booming culture shaping city and I'm going to go in and I'm going to penetrate this, this city with the gospel movement you're thinking about who are my people of peace like who are the ones that are influential in the community I'm going to go find those people and that's the ones that I'm going to work with these aren't the people you're looking for they're not the ones you're going to like oh that's the ones that's going to kind of really get this movement off the ground You're not looking for these kinds of people. Let's throw together a wealthy businesswoman. Let's get this demon-possessed chick over here who's been enslaved. Let's get this ex-GI Roman soldier guy. This would be a great church. But that's what God had in mind. That's, That's what God had in mind. This is the redeeming work of Jesus and the uniting power of the Holy Spirit. And these people would have never, ever thought of associating with one another otherwise. They would have never, never crossed paths. They had nothing in common. Nothing racially in common. Nothing economically in common or culturally in common. Nothing was in common. Yet now, they're called a family. And this is their story. This, this, is their, this is a letter to them, a letter of encouragement of how great they are as a church, how vibrant, how healthy they are as a church. And it's not just their story. It's our story, too. It's, it's our story, too. Never otherwise, except under the lordship of Jesus Christ and the power of his, his resurrection, could we gather this same group of people in the room under one common thought and call us family. No, under, no other way would this, would this happen if it weren't for Jesus. And if it weren't for Jesus, what we're doing right now would be impossible. I know you're thinking, like, oh, I don't know about that. Like, I think you're kind of a little stretching a little bit. What I'm trying to say is we might have some similar interests. We might have some common things that we can kind of get a, a conversation going around. We might end up in the same places together and cross paths. But never, uh, apart from Jesus, would we consider ourselves family. And that's, what the, that's the point I'm trying to make. Nowhere else could you gather as a family this way. And so, thank you, Jesus, that we're, that we're different people with different backgrounds and different races and stories. And we get to gather here all as one family. It's only through him that we get to do this. And the reality that has been being signaled to us so far through the church at Philippi is that the gospel, listen to me, the gospel has no types. The gospel, it has no type of person that it's more likely to work for than another person. It doesn't have types. When it comes to the gospel, he, Jesus, he doesn't play favorites. He's not looking for a certain kind of person, except a broken and humble and contrite person. That's who he's looking for. He don't play any favorites to the Middle Eastern woman. He don't play any favorites to the European man. He doesn't play favorites to the rich, and he doesn't play favorites to the poor He doesn't play favorites to those who have morally sterile lives. And he doesn't play favorites to those who have immorally messy lives. Welcome to the family of God. Where we have all things in common. None of us probably have similar backgrounds or or, or thoughts or crossing paths or similarities. But as brothers and sisters, we have a common father. 
We have a common song. We have a common prayer. We have common spirit living in us. We have a common Savior who pays for our sins. We have all things in common. And that's their story and it's our story. And then the text would tell us that there's a common promise also that we all kind of live under and exist under. You look at verse 6 and it says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You see that promise? That common promise over every one of us. And here's what he's saying. Who started this good work in you? Who started it? Jesus started the good work in you. Nobody in this room started the good work in you. No one in your community group or in your family started the good work in you. You didn't start it. You didn't earn God's love through good deeds and, and, and good behavior. You didn't muster up your own saving faith is what he's trying to tell us here. It didn't start with you. It started with Jesus. He began the good work in you. You and I are saved 100% top to bottom only by the work of Jesus alone. He began the good work. And this is what I've been trying to say all morning. He, he began the good work and now look at the back end of this promise that he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Everybody look up here for one second. If you are in Jesus, you are kept in Jesus. You are, if you are in Jesus, if you belong to him, you are kept in him. This means that God will never leave you. This means that God will never forsake you if you are in Jesus. God's never going to throw up his hands and say, you know what? I, I got in over my head on this one. This one's a little bit too much. God's never going to do that for you. He's never going to do that no matter how difficult you are for him. You didn't earn your way into his grace and you cannot send your way out of his grace. You are kept. He started the good work and he will complete it. He will finish the good work. And I, and I realize for, for my brothers and sisters in the room, those of you who are Christians, I, I, I realize that you're like, yeah, 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 I, I've heard this before. Like, I get this. I believe that. I understand that. But, but hang with me because I think every believer in the room needs to hear it today. I think you need to hear this today that there's been or there will be, if there hasn't been, there will be times in your life when this reality will feel like it's a million miles away from you. I go through this at least weekly, striving to try to maintain my own salvation, striving to, to stay in God's good graces. So if you haven't gone through it, brother and sister, you will. And I need you to hear this. I want you to take a step back and just remember who this promise is being made to, who he's, who he's thinking about, who's Paul writing to, who's he have in mind. Lydia, the businesswoman, is hearing this. He began the good work in you, Lydia, and he will finish the good work in you, Lydia. Ex-demoniac, he began the good work in you, and he will finish the work in you. Guy who nearly beat me to death, he, he began the good work in you, and he's going to finish the good work in you. People just like you and me. You might not think you're that terrible, but you're that terrible apart from Christ. I want to, I want to affirm that for you today. That apart from Christ, you are a broken rebel of God. You are far, far from God. You don't think there were moments? Think about this. You don't think there were moments in the early days of that church 
where the slave girl is sitting across the table from Lydia. What the heck am I even doing here? I don't belong here. I don't belong at this table. I'm not, I'm not a Lydia. She's got it together, man. Like she was kind of already halfway there. We're having a Bethmore Bible study and everything. And there I was, possessed by a demon. I don't belong at the table. You don't think there were moments? This girl looked over at the jailer. Said that... At that guy. You don't think the, you don't think the jailer might have sat around the table for a minute and said, I can't believe I'm here. I can't even believe that I'm here. Guys, let me tell you my testimony one more time because y'all not gonna believe this. I was I, I literally beat homeboy to death. And I'm now I'm here and he's writing a letter to me saying, Praise he's praising God for me and saying that God's doing something good in me and that he's gonna finish this good thing in me. You don't think those things were going around at the table in the days of this early church? You don't think Lydia, listen brothers and sisters, those whose ink wasn't dry on your birth certificate, you don't think for a second that Lydia didn't sit across from the table and says, man, I don't have a testimony like that. I must not be as close to God as they are because I, I just, you know, I just needed to profess Jesus like I had everything else kind of in order. These are the kinds of people in this church. These are the kinds of people who are sitting in these seats. I'm certain they struggle with the same doubts that you and I are going to struggle with. I'm certain of that. Yeah, sure, God began a good work in me, but you know what? It's up to me to finish it. That's garbage. That is garbage. This is how it works. The promise that applied to everyone in that church and to everyone in this church is that He will finish the work. He's going to finish it. Paul knew exactly who, was, who he was writing to when he wrote this letter. This wasn't just some broad, hey, I hear there are some Christians over there. Let me write a letter of encouragement to them. He knew exactly who he was writing to. He was closely acquainted with those in this church. He knew their backstories. He was there to see the transformation. He knew where they'd come from. And he applies his promise to them without distinction. You who seemed like you had it all together, you who were possessed by a demon, you who were hostile toward the gospel, the promise applies to every one of you. And he applies this promise without distinction. Listen, this promise isn't any more true for the wealthy businesswoman as it is for the slave girl, as it is for the jailer, as it is for you. He began the good work in you and he will complete the good work. And I... And I say this again in this room because there are moments where maybe there's, there's doubt, there's fear and anxiety and there's shame and there's guilt where you're trying to chase down God's calling on your life but you feel like you're alone and God's not there to help and you're just trying to like, I know God saved me. You need to receive the promise of Philippians 1.6. We'll get to 4.13 later. You need, you need the promise of Philippians 1.6 that he who began the good work in you will finish it. He's not as far away from you as you might feel like he is. He is closely acquainted with you. You're here. You love Jesus, man. You're, you're convicted and you're striving and you're pursuing and you're, and you're persevering. Let me remind you that you didn't initiate it. He did. He began the good work. 
And I want to assure you that the only reason, the only reason that you are here today believing today is that He is holding it all together for you. I assure you of that. The only way that you've made it in the door today with a half-hearted belief in Jesus is because He's held you together that far. And He will complete it. He will finish it. And Paul, he, he would give some horsepower to this promise. I'm, I'm going to wrap it up here. When he says, he says, I am sure of this. You see that? He could have just said, God's going to complete it. But he wants to kind of reinforce it a little bit. He says, no, no, no. I am sure of this. Let me give some, some horsepower to this promise that I'm talking about. And, and, and I want to remind you, as he does this, where he's at. Where Paul's at when he's writing, I assure you of this. I am certain of this. He's in a Roman prison cell under persecution for preaching the gospel. He's locked up in jail, writing a letter, can't leave, persecuted for preaching the gospel, writing this to these saints at Philippi. Let me put some perspective on this for you. If, I, if I'm in jail in Rome or anywhere else for preaching the gospel, I'm not sure of anything. I'm, there, are, there are full of uncertainties. I can assure you of that. But Paul writes with such rock-solid confidence. Such confidence, knowing exactly who he's writing to. Knowing exactly where he's at. Knowing exactly the God he's writing about. Even in the midst of all of his circumstances, and even in the midst of all of their circumstances, he's confident that the resurrected king, Jesus Christ, who started this whole movement, who started the whole thing, who began the good work, will finish it. Hang in there. Hang in there. God has entered your story with his eyes wide open. He knows you. He's closely acquainted with you. And there are no regrets. You might feel like you're a million miles away from that promise, but God is right beside you. He has you, and he's going to finish the good work that he started. Let's pray together. Father, as we uh, look at your word and, and consider your promise, oh God, let our response just be praise. Uh, let our response be humility. God, cause our hearts to better receive this truth God because I know uh, for a fact in this room that we're all over the map right now today in our relationship with you and our relationship with one another that we're just kind of all over the place and Lord let us experience the confidence that Paul has when he writes that he is certain that you are working, that you are keeping us, that you are holding the thing together for us. When it feels like it's all just kind of falling down around us, God, let us see beyond the, the immediate circumstances that might be clouding our vision and clouding our, our ears and our hearts for what you would have for us. Let this promise be the, the horsepower that drives us to keep on keeping on. Lord, start another good work today in someone in this room.
for the very first time this morning, God, would you begin a new work in someone else? Would you... Would you whisper this promise to someone who, who doesn't believe it right now? And through the power of your spirit, would you open their hearts to believe and to embrace the gift of life in Jesus? God, for those of us who are, who are at a place where we've embraced this promise, but we feel like we're just carrying it on our own, and we feel like we have to carry it on our own, God, would you whisper to us the reminder that you began the work, that you're doing the work, and that you're going to complete the work. And give us the courage. Give us the heart to be faithful. To be faithful with the next step that you have for us. And, and God, through the power of the Spirit, can we just take the step? Whatever step of obedience that might be, would you soften our hearts in a place where we're gladly saying yes? We thank you that this gospel that we gather around is about Jesus and Jesus alone. So, Father, let our, um, let our next few moments here be songs about Jesus. Let our prayers be to Jesus and about Jesus. Collectively, as a church, Father, would you center us around Jesus? Would you encourage us with the gospel? Would you give us words to say that are life-giving and life-breathing to people who need to hear this good news? Help us when we're having a hard time believing this good news ourselves. Remind us of your promise. We love you, Jesus. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.